So how do we feel about essentially rangefinders making their way into the PGA? Hey everybody, thanks and welcome back. This is episode number 72 of No Putts Given. I've got Tony, Harry, and Chris here and we're gonna talk distance measuring devices and are they making their way into the PGA? Let's get it. All right, guys, how we doing? I do well. I read a comment that a guy hates this part. It feels like a Monday morning at work in here. I'm, look at, I'm excited. <laughs> I got a new shirt, I got a new hat, I got my two dogs with me, I mean. I'm on a couch sitting down in the middle of a work day. This is all right. <laughs> right. This is this is not a meeting that nobody wants to be in. I got thin mints. Ooh, thin mints. I've never had a Girl Scout cookie. You've had to have had a Girl Scout cookie and you just no. don't know it. Mm-mm. I love when we do this because I know Matt is just like. <laughs> this is important. Girl Scout cookies play a large part in Chris's life. And Harry, you're lying. You've definitely had a Girl Scout cookie. You just don't know it. I'm pretty sure I don't. Anyway. Anyway. Golf. Golf. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so how do we feel about essentially rangefinders making their way into the PGA? I don't know if they have enough help already is my, <laughs> is my question. So to clarify, right, the PGA of America has decided to allow distance measuring devices, aka rangefinders being the most likely to be used in their competition. So the PGA Championship will allow rangefinders. And the PGA of America is very specific. So it's not across the whole tour that we're going to start seeing rangefinders being used, correct? Yeah, so the PGA Tour is not the is not the same as the PGA of America, which is obviously not the same as the USGA, which is, if we're going down this road, also not the same as the guys that run the Masters, right? I mean, we could talk about whether or not rangefinders themselves are a good idea for professionals, but what I find most interesting about this, following up on our conversation from last week, is it sort of is bifurcation in a way, in a, with a very narrow set, right? You you have a rule applied to PGA of America events that does not exist for PGA Tour events, presumably doesn't exist at the Masters. Effectively, what we're talking about is a different rule mm-hmm. based on the competition in, in which the event is, is played. I want to claw my eyes out. <laughs> it's just like, just make it simple. They can't. I don't want to have rules within a rule, but it can't do this because the rule is different than this rule. And again, I'm looking for some education here. Does the USGA have no jurisdiction over this type of thing? Like, can, can the PGA of America make this rule without the USGA intervening as they would in distance type things? It's I- kind of the opposite situation. Okay. So the USGA rules allow for distance measuring devices without a slope feature, right? So anything mm-hmm. that doesn't adjust for altitude. It's why average golfers can carry rangefinders. It's why average golfers can use Arcos and Arcos Caddy features. So the USGA explicitly allows for for this type of thing. It's just typically not done on on the at that to level. date, right? So pro levels right. have excluded them, even though right. technically yeah, they're you allowed can use them in, in qualifiers, okay. different events, yeah. depending on the association, depending on what the event is. But thus far, we haven't seen the the legal use of them in a sanctioned round at the professional at the highest level of of professional golf now you can use them in all of your practice rounds etc what we then kind of see here is is some incongruence around where are we allowing certain technologies and where are we not and why are we drawing the lines at certain places 
you can use the slope feature, right? The caddies have courses mapped out to the yard. So you know when you stand on that tee box, hey, you know, this plays seven yards downhill, this tee shot plays eight yards uphill, whatever it is. They take the notes, put it in their books, etc. They have, I think, Harry, you even have, have one of these books there. You could probably show like the heat maps, right, of the of the putting greens, right? So, so we have these you know, you know, super sophisticated heat maps down to, you know, whatever degrees of slope on putting greens. And we're totally okay with that. But on the other hand, we're not okay with, or some are not okay with uh, caddies using range finders to get specific distances. Oh, by the way, we have every club in our bag dialed in to the 10th of a degree. I mean, Xander Shoffley's three wood is 14.1 degrees of loft, right? Based on launch monitor, testing, fitting, etc. We have all this stuff dialed in and that's like, okay, game day, we want caddies to pace off the yardages. So it just, it, it feels really incongruent to me in terms of where we're deciding to draw lines and why. Yeah. So it, why was that a line that was drawn? Why exclude them in the first place? So anytime you see these rules and it's, you can go back, a great example is the anchoring ban, right? And they said, well, you know, you, you can't, you can't anchor your putter up here, Bernard Longer style, for example, because it, it takes some of the skill out of the game. It removes the skill from the game. And, and so you see that a lot of sort of this idea of somebody defining what is or is not a skill. And then basically saying anything that requires less skill than, than what came before it should, should not be allowed. If you have a rangefinder, it, it removes the skill of being able to accurately gauge a distance. And I think Chris made a good point, right? It, by the time you get into competition, there's very little of anybody standing in a fairway and going, yeah, it looks like 155. No, the course has been mapped already <laughs> to the nth degree. The, the caddies know how far you are at, at any given time in any given place very accurately, I would assume at this point. So unless... Yeah. You know, occasionally I'm sure somebody gives a bad number, but but it's very rare. But that's the argument is if you're able to shoot it, you don't have to actually know where you are. Yeah, and I think the other point, too, is when you draw a line in the sand, and and, and, and that's a difficult part. This kind of goes back to our conversation last week a little bit with rulemaking bodies and their, their proclivity to make rules, is when you draw a line, anything on just the opposite, you know, the, uh, either side of the line may look a little bit interesting or ridiculous and, and use the anchoring ban as a great example and, and say, okay, you can no longer anchor putters, you know, having this fixed point, your sternum, whatever, but somehow the, the Kucher method, right? The mid lock, the arm lock, you know, affixing, you know, 16, the Harry Nodwell method, the right? Harry Nodwell method, somehow, somehow that is not anchoring somehow that that requires more skill than than anchoring it to another part of your body. I personally go, okay, if this is legal and that's not help I mean, we're talking shades of gray, right? So this this gets back into that type of conversation a little bit of what is what is a fundamental skill of a caddy? I would argue that green reading, being able to read a green and understand the nuances of, you know, slope, agricultural features, you know, the things that impact how a putt breaks, reading grain, types of grass, etc., is more of a, a requisite skill than democratizing information like a yardage, like a distance, because we give players distances. We tell them how far the hole is when they tee off. It's not like they're guessing, right? They're provided, right? All of that that information. And so the fact we allow these green reading books that, that effectively, in my opinion, I think that removes far more skill from the game than any rangefinder could possibly do. And if you look at what the what the PGA of America is saying, they're hinting that this is this is all about 
you know, checking this out and say, does this improve pace of play? Right. Does, does being able to shoot a distance versus having to walk it off based on a sprinkler head or some other marker fundamentally increase the pace of play? And I think it'd be really interesting to talk to somebody like Michael Collins or, or you know, like a, a Bones Mackay, somebody who's done the job <laughs> at the highest level to understand you know, how much time could be saved by just shooting it. Because based on what I see on television, I, th- I think it's minimal because when you're when the mics are there and you're listening in on the conversations between the pro and caddy, you mm-hmm. don't hear a lot of how far is that? Yeah, I don't know. It looks 150. <laughs> it's it's right. really OK. Right. But all right. It's, it's 155. What's my carry to the front? What's the back? How much hurt is am I getting from the wind or how much right. help? Where's this ridge? Where does that ridge start? What is, you know, what's my better miss? Yeah, what's the better miss? What's it gonna do when it lands? All right. of all of these kind of things that that are are subsequent to understanding how far far you have. So I, I think the impact on on you know shooting it on time is gonna be absolutely minimal. I think it might actually make the game slower initially. Because you're giving them an extra tool. They got to figure out when and how they want to use these things in competition as they're going. They say, hey, can you shoot that one more time? I just want to be, hey, shoot that one more time. And until they really figure out how to use it, I could see it actually slowing down play a little This bit. is the stupid part is if this, if they're really saying that is they're trying to speed up play. One, I don't know, I don't know the average of how fast they play around anyways, probably in the fours, the four and a half hours. Nine hours, something like that. <laughs> yeah. And Several days. They said that they would, the only reason that they changed this rule when it comes to leaving the pin in is to save time. You have the option to save time when you leave the pin in. You're going to have to take it in or out, but the caddy has to do that and put it back in. So it's just adding time. This is exactly the same concept. And plus, if you have a great caddy, you have that little bit of an edge when it comes to making better scores. It takes it takes away from the authenticity of a professional golfer using a caddy, paying them millions of dollars a year. You're taking the route that it does remove from some of the authenticity of the game, allowing pros to use range finders. A, a little bit, yes. But when it comes to the conversation last week, I think the complete opposite. I think there's a fine line when it comes to rules being in intruding on what the game actually is. They pay the caddies a lot of money. Are yeah. they gonna? Are they gonna? Not all of them. Well, not all. Yeah, <laughs> depending on who you are. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna mention any names. Um, but if 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 you say that the caddy gets X amount or like ten percent, you now you could say, all right, now we have a rangefinder. That's half your job known in the yardage out the window i'm going to cut your wage down to x amount or percentage. Yeah, i mean you don't know they might happen i think knowing the yardage is the tiny part it's it's then you know what to do with it because the strategy if, yeah. yeah if you think about it sure. the typical amateur your weekend golfer uh with a range finder right shoots a pin it's 150 i need to hit it 150 that's and i'm going right at the pin Whereas at the professional level, you know, it's understanding dispersion patterns and where the mm-hmm. safe miss is and and not, you know, I need to hit it 150. Like, what is my knowing that the flag is 150? What's what's my yardage to the safe miss? Well, how far am I actually trying to hit the ball? And and the range finder is just not going to run those calculations for you. No, um, no. So it's I, I think the impact here is is absolutely minimal. So I'm more interested in seeing how it functions from the other perspective like okay now we have we have multiple pro events with at least one rule or one 
augmentation of a rule that that varies based on the venue and the tournament and that mm. that to me is interesting the rangefinder itself i'm like honestly yeah. i don't i don't care either way what's got to be frustrating is if they do do start using it in like every event we're gonna see number one this week on the whatever oh. phoenix open oh. it'd be bushnell, bushnell is gonna, love is gonna it. be oh, bushnell's then, already bushnell love it. Is, i guarantee yeah, bushnell you is the big winner in all of this it'd be like yes. joy, number one shoe out this week or number one totally. glove, whatever well, Bushnell already already promotes oh. it, right? Because, like we said, yeah. they use people. You know, pe- these guys are using. They they have the courses mapped, right? like I said, to the nth degree. And again, I I would also like to hear from some tour caddies. I'd love to hear from you know a Paul Tesori or John Wood, who's now doing commentary uh, on some of the weekend golfer or Bones or whomever. And I would like them to comment on the role that they played beyond those numbers for their players. I, I would have to imagine the value that they bring to their players is much, much more than numbers. They're they're part coach, part psychologist, part friend. They got to know when to kick them in the ass, when to give them a pat on the shoulder, when to say the right thing, when not to say the wrong thing, how to understand their player's emotional state, how to motivate them, etc. A lot of these guys spend more time with their caddy than they do with their families. And so... To understand the real human component and the emotional IQ and the intelligence around all of those things and getting your player to perform at an optimal level in a, in a difficult situation, I, I just have to believe that the value that these caddies bring to their players is much, much more than being able to give them a particular number. And so in some ways, if we level that part of the playing field, it might actually make those better caddies right stand out even more. You might really see the better caddies separate themselves or the guys that don't need that or want that or whatever. Then it's like, yeah, put your buddy on the bag that can shoot the number and you you like cracking some jokes with him and hanging out for a while. Um, we've seen people go that route, right? Rory fired his professional caddy, right, JP, however many years ago, and now effectively has his buddy, uh, what is Harry Diamond or whatever, on the bag. For a long time, Patrick Reed had his wife, Justine, on the bag, and now it's a brother-in-law. It's not... Well, you know, um, Lee Westwood is a good example of that. I think he has his wife on there. So, well, this spurs a new question now. So, Harry, if you ever make it, do I get to be your caddy? I... <laughs> sure. Good hesitation. Yeah. All right. How about how about this, Harry? <laughs> Between Miranda, Tony, me, and Adam, who would you prefer to caddy for you? Whoever knows my game the, the most, it's probably Adam because he's seeing me swing a little bit more it's fine you're making dinner tonight whatever see if it were just a numbers thing i'd be like (laughs) tony if it was a numbers thing it would be tony for sure but he needs to know my game first and i don't know if he has the patience to know my game so interesting that you went to who knew your game and those pieces as opposed to who had the best calculator if it was calculations yeah it would be it would be for sure tony probably lenny actually i'd probably go lenny that's right (laughs) So then, if the objective of the PGA of America was to speed up the pace of play, and we're saying this is not hitting the mark, it's not going to make a dent in the pace of play, what does? Because that's a common question that we come up with quite often, that you know one of the reasons golf viewership is down is because it's a four-hour commitment, and even longer sometimes. For the so, front nine, yeah. Right, well, it's, it's- right. They've tried it before. They've tried to penalize people, players. You have, was it 45 seconds to hit a shot? You've got all day. I know there's shot clocks in Europe. See, I would think that that would take away from the authenticity more than rangefinders would. 
you know, the, the cause of slow play is slow play. I right. mean, and so if, and if there are no consequences for playing yeah. slow and they've tried to enforce it and it's never, it never gets enforced. Right. And if you're, you know, if one shot can be the difference, you know, half a million dollars for one shot, you know, what, what's the fine for taking too long? If it's, you know, if it's just a few thousand dollars, 10,000, whatever, it's worth the risk. So um, until you start adding strokes, yeah. which fundamentally then you get into, well, does it change the game, the relationship to par because now you shot X, but you actually had to card a Y because of a, a slow play penalty. But uh, until you start adding strokes or or some other means that takes a, a significant, quantifiable, and meaningful amount of money out of the pockets of, of the guys playing slowly, it nothing's going to change. No. So you have, to, you have to decide you're serious about fixing the problem. And you need to get, I think, out of the mindset of, trying to penalize the group because because groups don't play slowly like you do occasionally have a group where everybody is slow but but typically it's right. one guy i and if you're playing with one slow guy <laughs> the way the game is played you don't have the option of just moving on without him yeah plus if, <laughs> yeah, so. if everyone's right. shooting in around the 70s and this one guy is shooting 100 it's going to slow up. Well, that's, that doesn't really happen on tour, but... <laughs> oh, I don't know. If you get me on there, it might. <laughs> yeah. But that's just like, again, it's typically if, if you took one guy out of the group and replaced him with somebody who, who played at the average pace of the other two, you'd be fine. So, I don't know. Hit him in the wallets. Yep. Hit him in the wallets. Maybe get Hard. some refs out there with flags. Ooh, that would be fun. Slow play jail. They could join yeah. the made for chef CEOs. Kind of like hockey where you got to go into the penalty box. Yeah, or, or just put all the slow players together in the last group. So, yeah, whenever you finish, you finish. Chris, how would this work? When, when would a flag be thrown? Like at Well, a see, and that's here, here's mm-hmm. the great mystery, right? In every other sport, we bemoan the subjectivity of refs, right? We, uh-huh. we, we hated it on, in the Super Bowl because some of the, the super ticky tack down, they did not let the players determine some of the portions of that game. I know which call you're talking about. Uh, it was multiple calls. And I think that was, it had to have been the right one. My opinion is that when, once you start doing that, then you have to also be okay with some subjectivity, right? You can't have umpires call balls and strikes and not be okay with them getting it wrong a very, very small percentage of the time. And so it's part of the now, game. again, you would have to put, you know, let's say you had a walking official with every group on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you can maybe pull it off at that particular level. Again, maybe this would be de facto bifurcation. And now you have a different kind of, uh, you know, rule situation than you do anywhere else. But they could have them put them on a stop clock. You know, they could say, okay, we're going to time every single shot from the time we have it. And I'm going to tell you when you get one bad time. I'm going to tell you when you get a second bad time. And the third time I time you and you get a bad time, I'm just going to say, hey, so-and-so, I'm adding a shot on that hole. Well, but okay, so then doesn't it get into the weeds a little bit that if you've got a particularly difficult shot, are you allowed a certain more amount of time yeah. or anything? A big like gust that? of wind comes up. I mean, tough shit. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, right? When you're in a crucial late in the game, fourth down s- situation in the NFL, do you get an extra 15 seconds on the play clock to really Fair think enough. it through? Fair I mean, enough. there's this is another sport that that sort of has time windows where you get to extend that beyond maybe, you know, and again, it starts to get complex and you're adding layers and, and ultimately risking adding time to a round versus subtracting it. But maybe a player gets one timeout per 18 or something like that. 
Oh yeah, we'd have to introduce timeouts now. Right, right. Again, oh. it, it snowballs. It gets super complicated. <laughs> but these are the yep. kind of things you have to do when you're you're going to say, yeah, we we are going to put a, a time limit on this, and we're going uh -huh. to strictly enforce that that time limit. Or you do it like chess, right? You do it like that, or something like my daughter does debate and stuff, mm -hmm. right? They have rounds and they have X amount of time to do certain things, and you start the game with an hour or whatever the number of prep time is, and you can use all of that or as little of it as, as you want throughout. But then let's say you have X amount of time to hit every shot and you go, okay, you're on the 18th hole and you've used all your allotted time to make those extra decisions, whatever the case is. Now you have to hit every shot in a minimum or a maximum of 20 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever. I like that. That's solid. Yeah, that's not bad. That way, if you want to take an extra two minutes, what was that putt last or a couple of years? You know, Bryson took six or seven, eight minutes and then Days, shoved it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay, if you have that amount of time, you want to allot an extra four minutes for this particular putt, great. No problem. But if you run out of your allotted amount of time, then you have to play at this particular pace for the you're rest of the day. 45 seconds the rest of the day. Or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that was a little bit of a rabbit hole, but <laughs> anyway, that's what we do here, I suppose. Uh, Harry, I want to talk to you a little bit. You've been busy in the testing facility. We've got two of our first soft goods tests of the season out, cart bags and stand bags. So mm -hmm. I want you to talk us through the the winners. Introduce us to who who is the best, the top dog in each of these categories. All right, let's start with carts then. I mean, it's no surprise... Okay. The Ping Pioneer is one for its fifth straight year, I think. This is just one of those bags where it is Pinnacle. I mean... But not made by Pinnacle. It's a range bag. <laughs> it's got four length dividers, all separated. They don't snag. It's got the cool cart strap pass-through where it doesn't compress your actual pockets, so you lose some of your storage. When it comes to that, it goes underneath and uh, around the bag instead of over top of it. All the pockets in on that bag is placed in a way that it doesn't intrude in another pocket. So what I mean is the corner pocket is not up above in the middle and it goes down into the ball pocket. So your ball pocket is now irrelevant. It doesn't have that. It's all strategically placed. And plus the pockets expand, which allows for ample storage. Uh, it's just one of those bags that is... I could go on for days about it. They thought of everything. They thought about everything. It's the smallest little detail when it comes to the... Uh, to ping and if we're going for stand bag again ping the hoofer stand is another long time winner at my golf spy just because they thought of everything i mean the stand system is secure they've reinforced it so it doesn't wobble when when you put it down when you hold it it's balanced in a way where you can just drop it and the stand just opens up when it comes to a rain hood this is my favorite part about ping is the rain hood is tucked under your bottom half of your back. So it's actually adds stability and support and it's attached. So a lot of people lose their rain hood if they have it. That's why ping is dominating in the car and stand bags, easy. Attention to detail. Attention to detail, very much so. I would say there's bags out there that have performed incredibly well too. It's just the smallest detail matters. For instance, their water bottle holder is positioned upright at whether it's on your back or on the ground. It's never going to link. It's never going to be lateral. It's always going to be vertical. Vessel did a great job with their water bottle holder. They had two magnets. And on the side of the bag, it expands. But when it's not in use, it folds down and it makes it streamlined. So it's it doesn't get in anyone's way. 
Little things like that make a big difference when you go up the ladder makes a, a bag a good bag. And we're going to link the article in this video yep. and on the podcast so that you can go and take a look at all of the the rankings and all of the hard work that Harry's been doing in the facility uh, to get these out. And next week, we're going to talk Sunday bags, right? Potentially, yes. Okay. With COVID happening, inventory is a struggle right now. So we might have to rejiggle a couple of things here and there, but it is planned on Sunday bags, yes. Okay, awesome. Now, Tony, I want to come to you next because you have been busy writing. And last week we saw the new release of the whole Titleist line, the Drivers, Fairway Woods, Hybrids. So can you give us a, a little bit of an intro to those if people haven't already read the article? What are we seeing with those? Yeah, I mean, first, it's it's pretty wild to, to think that we are now getting into mid-February and the, the release calendar is so full. If you even like golf equipment a little, it's just been an incredible year so far in terms of the volume of releases. So, you know, what, what we're talking about here is, is what Titleist is calling its spring releases. So mm -hmm. a lineup expansion of the TSI driver franchise. So adding the lightweight TSI-1 and the, the low spinning TSI-4 so that the TS driver effectively mirrors what they had with, with TS again, after two separate launches, they have a new TSI-1 Fairway Wood. So this is a brand new product for Titleist. This is, I guess you could say, kind of a new category. This is, again, kind of that that ultra lightweight Fairway Wood designed for moderate swing speed golfers, which is, you know, polite industry code for slower. Slow. And you have the, the Titleist hybrid lineup, again, TSI-1, 2, and 3, and as the as the numbers get larger, the shapes get a little bit smaller. And again, this one, hybrid space largely ignored, but really intriguing to me because you have within that a the TSI one again, lightweight, kind of a game improvement hybrid. You have the the TSI two, which is really kind of the middle of the market, average kind of guy hybrid. And then you have the TSI three. Again, we've talked a lot about brands differentiating their product lines more than they have in the past, and you really see that. Where going back to previous two, three iterations, those those two hybrids were pretty close. One was a little bit smaller. Now, when you look at the the TSI two versus the TSI three, you're going to see a really appreciable difference in the size. The TSI three is not quite Adam's peanut like, but you're getting into that space of a more compact iron like hybrid designed for guys who hit down on it versus kind of the sweeper hybrid. Definitely kind of more lower trajectory iron like performance you can call it a better player's hybrid if you will but it's really you know for any golfer who needs the launch characteristics provided by that design so i think i think that one's really interesting chris we you know we've talked about this before on no puts given this kind of trend towards these smaller yeah. hybrids and i think tsi3 is a great example of that yeah i mean that's i think that's what i'm mostly excited about where we saw it with taylor made um we've seen it with callaway you know likely going to continue to see this a little bit especially from your 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 larger brands where they can, like Tony's saying, separate the products a little bit more individualization, more differentiation between, you know, a one, a two, and a three. In this case, where that three is probably going to be something that's you know, a little bit higher spinning, right? It's gonna be more like an iron, less like a fairway wood. And again, for better players that have said, I just can't find a hybrid that doesn't want to turn left on me, that's, you know, not biased toward the moderate swing speed, you know, the, the, the golfer that that's a slower, uh, slower swing speed that needs the shot shape correction to hit the ball more right to left in, in whatever it's, 
pretty much the opposite of what a lot of better players are looking for. And thing with Titleist, I, I think their hybrids have been really like sneaky good in the past, probably oh, yeah. Yeah. probably have not gotten uh the attention they deserve largely because hybrids don't get a lot of coverage. They're not super sexy. They're not exciting in, in a lot of regards. But but Titleist has been really sneaky good in that category. And for the people that are looking for that better player hybrid, uh, that's the TS3. That's the one that I'm going to watch probably more closely than the other two. Yeah, and that does have the uh, the elevator weight system, right, carrying over from the Ayo. from the TSI three driver and fairway wood. And if you're sort of like, oh, I would, I like the idea of a hybrid, but I hook the shit out of them. Then again, pop that weight into the toe and and take some of that hook out, and that so it, it makes mm-hmm. it more viable than than most anything else on the market for that guy who who wants a little bit more forgiveness than he's getting from a long iron, but is is scared to death of that that hard left play. Mm-hmm. Harry, were you raising your hand earlier, or were you saying, "Yeah, that's me"? <laughs> I was. It was. Yeah, it was me. I can't stop hitting them left, and no yeah. matter what I do, even if I put the weight as as lead tape in the in the toe, it still wants to turn over. It just is what it is. I'm about two to four degrees consistently into out with a slight closed club face. So it's it's it is one of those ones where yes, my path doesn't help with that draw but even if i tried everything to get it out on the toe to make it a fade bias it still doesn't work i love the concept of it i really do i love this concept of a hybrid i just wish they would make one that's really flat and put it fade bias at least with with Titleist, right? You do have that lie angle adjustment. So. Yeah, but I'm talking about four degrees flat, <laughs> <laughs> not just maybe one. <laughs> Obviously, the TSI-1 driver is one of those ones that sneaky fits a larger percentage of golfers than you think. So the number is, yeah, I think it's, if you use 90 miles an hour as your number, nearly one-third of golfers swings below that swing speed. So you know that that's kind of who that one is for. And then the other extreme, the TSI-4 has become really a unique offering in the market. I talk about this in the story where as mainstream drivers, and I think, you know, using like a, a Sub-Zero, for example, from Callaway or a Sim from TaylorMade, where these these kind of flagship mainstream drivers have all trended towards the lower spin side. You've seen the, the smaller, the 445 cc's, or in the case of the Titleist, the 430 cc, really small, compact heads disappear. Mm-hmm. Titleist is, is, as far as I know, the last of the the major OEMs, and again, the LST is a good example, one that's slightly undersized, but you know, certainly not 430, super compact. And the objective here is really to, to be super ultra, whatever you want to call it, extra low spin. And it's, again, it's a really niche product, fits a, a small percentage of golfers for sure. But in talking to Titleist, their, their perspective is, yeah, it's, we don't expect to sell a ton of them, but fundamentally we believe in fitting and we know that just about every fitter has at least one of those guys, and one of those guys is guys like me, who just absolutely spin the hell out of a ball with a driver. And you need that that option that can really aggressively kill spin. And that that's where the TSI four fits. What's your angle of attack? Just curious. Uh, on foresight, typically plus four, give or take. So you're you're spinning a shit ton with a driver. It's massive dynamic loft. Ah, okay. So you're flipping pretty much at impact? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. So it's it's amazing. 
It is. Yeah, my, <laughs> so it, it really is. Like you look at you look at the numbers on the GC quad, and you're like, oh, angle of attack plus four, that's solid, right? And sometimes I'm I'm even plus five, plus six. Then you look at the dynamic loft, and it's like 18, <laughs> 19, 20. Launch is like a seven iron. What I want you to do: send me a video of your swing, and I'm I'm gonna. This is gonna be a journey for us. We're, I'm gonna try and get your dynamic loft down and make you hit bombs or dingers, is what I would say. <laughs> dingers. <laughs> dingers uh, i have no place to hit balls right now so that's... oh yeah you haven't built your uh, thing yet that's your uh, studio i don't want to i don't want to talk about it well when you when you can hit balls we'll we'll get it started we'll get your dynamic loft down well tony yeah, i'm no. looking at the calendar here and it looks like the titleist release is one of our last um in terms of at least drivers right i'm not missing anything it is the last of the the big ones for sh- <laughs> That I'm aware of, and I mean, unless something uh, sneaks up. I mean, if you think about the the last couple of days, the email exchanges you and uh-huh. I have had. Uh, what? Uh, Another uh, one? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's weird. It's like all the stuff that used to happen around January fifteenth. Like surprise, here's another one is now uh-huh. happening in mid February. But yeah, yeah. So barring any additional surprises, and I can't even imagine what that surprise would be. This is yeah. The, I mean, there's you know. there's one more release we know about coming, but this will mm-hmm. be. Um, for yeah. the big ones, right? For the major for, yeah. expected. Yeah. And that puts us in a position where especially we're kind of coming together with the end of most wanted driver testing. And now that we've got all of our new releases out there, I wanted to see, I wanted to get predictions. So let's see, most wanted goes out in a couple of weeks. So before we get to most wanted, what are we thinking um, in terms of like maybe some dark horse performances or we can even take predictions for who you think will be number one. Chris, what you got? I'm not going to be at all surprised if if the big companies continue to dominate because mm-hmm. this isn't unlike the bad conversation where once you start getting to that upper echelon of performance, the the difference between you know the number one driver and maybe the number five driver is going to be you know fractions of fractions of strokes gained based on our methodologies that you know Tony can do a much better job explaining than I can, but. This is where the company that maybe has 30, 40, 50 million dollars invested in R&D has that, you know, 0.5% better performance than than another particular driver. So, two things that I'm going to be really interested to see uh, kind of watch for is one, last year we saw with Sim that if anything lacking a little bit in forgiveness in off-center hits, on-center hits, really really good especially for some higher swing speed players theoretically sim 2 has improved on that see if that kind of bears out in testing and then because of the wide range of people that we you know we test and we see this all the time people go oh well you know my buddies at the course all hit at 320 yards it's like yeah okay but you have to understand there are literally hundreds of thousands of golfers millions of golfers out there and we're we're looking at thousands of shots and across that entire spectrum Ping continues to design for that spectrum, and and they understand how to design for the needs of I think the the largest swath of of golfers out there. So again, not going to be surprised if Ping does really really well because of that larger scope of analysis. So those are the two that I'm really watching to see how Sim Two does, and then um, we had what four four twenty five in there, Harry. Right, that's the mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. testing this year. So those are the two that I'm going to be really interested. If I had to throw a dark horse in there, yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm going to throw Mizuno in there. Okay. I'm going to throw the ST 
in there just because this is now the third or fourth year we're past you know 190 and they've learned something at, at each kind of iteration it does have some better face technology in it that again kind of decoupling that ct cor relationship they feel like been able to take a couple advantages there talk to some people around here who have hit it that have gotten some pretty good results out of it so if if there's a dark horse i'm gonna put uh, i'm gonna put my money on mizuno i like it now Tony and Harry, I come to the two of you cautiously because I know you've been looking at data on all of these drivers. Tony, have you dug into it yet? No, and it's Harry and okay. I were, were talking about this. Like we we've we have a new data management system yes. in place where previously we kind of had to wait to the end of the test and, and then look at the data. Now we're we're kind of seeing it in in near real time as it comes in, but. And just kind of the way that the test works with the way drivers are rotated and things like that, you, it's still, you, you see things rise and fall and it really just depends on on where we are in the test because of the, the imbalance of shots we have at mm-hmm. this point, although it's narrowing. So, you know, I see some things, but at the same time, I also know <laughs> that what I see is effectively meaningless and, and at this yeah. point in time, just from years of experience with this. So no spoilers then. I, I have no spoilers. What predictions do you have? First of all, I think it's it's a reasonably safe play that that the winner will will come out of one of the big five, just it's because historically, other other than a Shrixon that was kind of an upset winner, that that's what happens, right? We see mm-hmm. we see Callaway win or TaylorMade win or Ping win. Uh, so, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Titleist or Cobra win. Like I think anywhere in in that five, you're you're probably going to have the winner. The most intriguing for me. I mean, it's tough to to bet against the the, the LST from Ping just because it it has such a track record. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of the one that's in that space that intrigues me is the the Epic Max LS because okay, it's it's sort of positioned as similar to the the Ping LST in terms of you know the design, your mass properties, the launch and spin characteristics, as you will, if you will, but. We see time and time again from Callaway that they they just managed to be just that much faster than everybody else. And so to to kind of look and go, all right, could I get could I get what functions like a ping LST with a, a touch more ball speed, one more mile an hour? Yeah, yeah, and that, I mean half a mile an hour, right? right? Sometimes a quarter, right? And again, if you get kind of that that tighter dispersion that we tend to see with ping drivers, and it, I mean, it seems kind of weird to be sitting here going, yeah, if Callaway can make a, a driver that, that's like ping, but but a little faster. And that's really what we're talking about. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's right. what I'm, I'm seeing right. in testing when I'm doing my own personal testing that Callaway all across all their drivers, the ball speeds, I'm, I'm hitting some like 176, 177 ball speeds with the Callaway, but it's not as far as a tailor-made Sim 2 for me. And that's because of the spin rates are just that little bit higher. Now, in previous years, the Callaways have been very low spin when it comes to the um, Sub-Zero. This year, that like low spin model is in and around 22 to 23,000 uh, revs. Holy for cow, you, that's right? a lot. 23,000? Which is a lot for me, but it's more consistent. So I'm seeing 1,800 and then... 2700 and then 19 i'm not seeing that kind of like big patterns when i hit it all over the face and that's why ping have been so bloody consistent for for years now is their spin rates are so consistent wherever you hit it on that face they're going to be in and around that kind of magical number i have a feeling that callaway might come out on top this year purely because of that spin rate 
Yeah, it's again that that's the one I find intriguing. The tailor made stuff, you know, you're gonna you're gonna see some distance and some speed. Mm-hmm. If you go back to last year's test, the issue with sim was that that our testers kind of sprayed it around a little bit. So if that's if that's been addressed, if we see that in the numbers, you could see sim creep up. And in terms of a dark horse, like I'm not I'm not willing to go deeper into the chart than a than a cobra. So I think that's you know, the dark that, horse that I think that might you might you might see it. The rad speed, or yeah, I would guess probably yeah. the rad speed XD, where again you're you're kind of getting into that that low center of gravity but forgiving type of of design. Mm-hmm. So that would be probably as as dark as I would go on a dark horse. <laughs> Not to be disrespectful <laughs> to Mizuno, I think they're making progress. I don't just I don't think it's there yet. The only thing that I think that might be another dark horse is Honma. I think Honma might creep up there. But I don't think they're going to get the top spots. Yeah, it's the same drivers we tested last year. So yeah. you know, I expect them to perform similarly. Mm-hmm. We seldom see absolutely identical. But you know, if it, it, it didn't win last year. And so... Did well in ball speed from what I remember. Right, for right? sure. Had, had pretty... Yeah, had a lot of horsepower and then... Right, and then from there. So... Yeah, so again, I would I would probably... You know, if, if, if I had... To, if I had, if if I took that two billion that Miranda gave me last week, and I had <laughs> now I'm taking I, it back. <laughs> but if I had to bet it on any single, like you know, two billion all in on one, I think uh-huh. I'd, I'd take my chances with the Epic Max LS this year. But <laughs> I would, I wouldn't be shocked again to see anything from you know, if, it, if a TSI two showed up on top, I'd be like, all right, yeah, that's that's not terribly surprising because. Again, yeah. at, at that top level, at the at the major OEM level, the stuff is all really, really good, and and the difference between them is is it's fair to say nuanced, and you just you know happen to fit more testers a little bit better than something else is is really what it boils down to. When is most wanted driver coming out? When it when is that? So that's when what I was get... about to say. The good news is we'll I'm be getting able all to talk excited about, now. We'll be able to talk about the winners on next week's show. That uh, most wanted article is going out on the 22nd. So unless something changes or we need to backtrack, get a couple more testers in, or look at the data a second time, it is scheduled to go out on the 22nd. So we'll be able to talk about it next week with our no putts given viewers. Woo-hoo. I dig it. I dig yeah. it. So, well, that's all I've got for today, guys. Do we want to talk more about cookies or anything like that? Please, no. There was this guy. Did I did I tell you this? There's a guy that sent me a head cover. There's a head yes, cover. because <laughs> you need more. Yeah, I mean, it's adding it to the collection. Winter green. Listener, uh, no puts given listener sent this to me. I really appreciate it. I am going to add it to the to the collection. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, on that note, until next week, we out. Yeah. Thank you.